Hey, what's up, listeners? My name's Tyler, and you're listening to Horror's Home Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about Halloween Kills. At first, I'm going to give a brief synopsis, then talk about some background information regarding the film, then take a break before going through the plot, so here's a spoiler warning. If you haven't had a chance to check out my list of every Halloween film ranked from my least to my most favorite episode, go check that out. Halloween Kills picks up after the events of Halloween 2018, resuming the same night as the Strobe family are being rushed to the hospital. Michael Myers escapes from Lori's trap to continue his bloodbath, and a mob is formed to hunt down Michael and end his reign of terror once and for all. Directed by David Gordon Green, who directed Halloween 2018 and next year's Halloween Ends, produced by Jason Blum of Blumhouse, and Malik Akkad, who has produced Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers, H2O, Halloween Resurrection, Rob Zombie's Halloween, and its sequel Halloween 2, as well as 2018's Halloween. Returning to reprise the roles are Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and Andy Matichak, and James Jude Courtney as The Shape. This is the second film in David Gordon Green's trilogy, which the only other one before Halloween 2018, whose events are taken into consideration, is the original film from 1978. Originally, this film and Halloween Ends were supposed to be shot back-to-back, but COVID put a delay on that film's production. But now, as Halloween 2018 was released 40 years after the original film, this year Halloween Kills was released 40 years after Halloween 2, and next year Halloween Ends will be released 40 years after Halloween 3 was released. Now I'm going to take a quick break before we go through the plot of Halloween Kills. The film opens with the sound of Officer Hawkins being stabbed by Michael's doctor from the last film. We then see Cameron calling his friend Oscar, who we know is also killed. Cameron then discovers Hawkins' body, who is still alive, and calls 911. We see a flashback to the night of the original killings, where a young Hawkins chases Michael. Then there's Lonnie, originally a young bully to Tommy, who after himself being bullied, runs home. He trips on the sidewalk and looks up, being hovered over by Michael. Frank and his partner Pete find Lonnie, but Michael is nowhere to be found. They then enter the Myers' childhood home and find the dead dog that Loomis and Brackett found in the first film. Pete stares out the window and looks down to see Michael's fresh footprints. Michael then grabs Pete, bashing him against the wall and choking him before using him as a human shield to Frank. Frank on accident shoots his partner in the neck and in a panic misses Michael multiple times as he goes outside and then surrenders to cops surrounding him. Fast forward to 2018 at the bar scene, Tommy tells the story of the Haddonfield Boogeyman. He was the boy Lori babysat that night in 1978. We meet the other Halloween survivors, Nurse Marion Chambers, Lindsay Wallace, who Annie was babysitting the same night, and Lonnie, Tommy's bully but now his friend. The Strode family are in the back of the truck who picked them up at the end of the last movie. We see fire trucks rush past them to put out the gas fire at Lori's. One firefighter falls into the basement and is killed by Michael. Another goes to help up his fallen colleague, thinking it's the firefighter, but Michael grabs his hand. Michael exits the home and kills all the firefighters who try to defend themselves with weapons but aren't able to put up a fight. The Strodes arrive at the hospital and there's an emotional scene of Allison decompressing and her mom washes blood off of her hands to see her wedding ring as her husband was killed by Michael in the last film. Lori is having abdominal surgery. 
We also see Officer Brackett, who was Annie's dad in the original, who is now the hospital security guard. We get a brutal kill scene where Michael is in the bathroom of a house after leaving Lori's. Older couple Phil and Sandra are killed, stabbed in the throat with window glass, and stabbed with a broken bulb. Then Michael continues to stab Phil's body with multiple different knives before choosing one to take an exit. Back at the bar, it is believed that Michael is in the backseat of Marcus and Vanessa's car. Tommy comes out with a bat with others. The car speeds off and crashes. When the mob reaches the vehicle, he's gone, but we see the second escaped mental patient fleeing the scene, not Michael. We meet couple Big John and Little John as they get pranked by three children who are wearing the skeleton, witch, and pumpkin masks from Halloween 3. They then proceed to tell the children the story of Michael Myers and how this was his childhood home. At the hospital, they find out Michael is still alive, where Cameron reunites with Allison. Karen is being the typical mom, saying stay in the hospital room and yelling at the staff about their security. Allison and Cam join Tommy, Lindsay, and Lonnie, as well as the nurse and doctor couple Marcus and Vanessa, to hunt Michael. Tommy gathers a mob around town. Lindsay, Marcus, Vanessa, and Marion stop in the park to warn the three kids who pranked the Johns. Michael Myers is pointed out from behind the vehicle holding a knife. He climbs on top and breaks the window. Vanessa climbs out of the window with her gun. Marion is out of bullets as Michael climbs into the vehicle, stabbing her and Marcus. Vanessa approaches, shooting at Michael rapidly, when he then kicks the door, making Vanessa shoot herself. After a struggle, Lindsay escapes and hides from Michael nearby. Lori is told and believes they killed Michael. She tells Frank Hawkins, who is sharing her hospital room, the same. Downstairs, Tommy riles the mob and he tells Lori that Michael is still alive. Lori tells Karen that she'll sacrifice herself to end this and to keep them safe from Michael. The other mental patient shows up at the hospital looking for medical attention after his car wreck. The mob thinks it's Michael and rush after him in an act of rage and panic. Lori, Karen, and countless others get hurt during the chase, with people falling, being trampled on, and a fight ensues in the stairwell. Meanwhile, a knock at the Michael's childhood home. Upstairs, he stabs Big John and then gouges his eyes out. Little John finds his dead partner and then sees Michael staring out the upstairs window. The scene zooms out from the window as we hear Little John scream. During the hospital panic, Lori's wound reopens, so she returns to her room. Tommy punches a cop, chasing who he thinks is Michael. People are falling down the stairs, fighting. No one is listening to the police. Frank blamed himself for not letting Loomis shoot Michael in 78. Karen helps the mental patient lock the door so he's safe from the mob on both sides. They then begin to smash the glass, so he busts out the hall window with a fire extinguisher and jumps to his death. They unknowingly killed the wrong man. Karen and Lori question where Michael is going if he's not coming to the hospital. He creeps, he kills, he goes home, says Lonnie as he stares at the map of Haddonfield, tracing Michael's attacks over the evening. They arrive to the Myers' childhood home and Lonnie goes inside, asking his son and Allison to wait in the car. Shortly after, they hear a gunshot and immediately follow. Searching the house, Cam finds his dead dad, then is stabbed by Michael. Allison stabs Michael multiple times before being pushed down the stairs. Michael bashes Cam in the banister, then breaks his neck. Michael almost stabs Allie before Karen stabs him in the back with a pitchfork. She takes off his mask, lying down. He immediately gets back up, and a maskless Jason chases after Karen. He finds his mask lying in the street, caught in a trap surrounded by the angry mob of townspeople and Tommy with their guns and bunged weapons. He puts on his mask, being struck by bats and wooden posts. He slashed the hand of one who then shoots him multiple times in his torso. The others continue to beat him as he lays on the ground, unable to get up. As he reaches for his knife, Karen grabs it and then stabs him in the back, appearing to be defeated. We hear Lori's voice, fear, that is the true curse of Michael Myers. Michael rises and one by one slays the townspeople, including Tommy and Brackett. Karen sees a young Michael staring from the upstairs window. Alluding to the fact that Michael is immortal, Lori speaks of him not being man and that he grows stronger every time he kills. The more he kills, the more he transcends. 
Karen goes into Michael's sister's room while Allie is on the front porch and Lori is in the hospital. She looks out the window, which Michael suddenly appears behind her. She turns around as he stabs her countless times and we see her lifeless eyes as her body lays on the floor. The film ends there. Before I give my thoughts on the film, I want to share some Easter eggs and references. The firefighters in the beginning are real firefighters from Cannon Air Force Base Fire Department. The hospital in the film is the same hospital as in Halloween 2, which is named Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. Marianne is, is antagonized by Michael in the same way as the original, with his hand beating on the glass car window. The town mob is like the one that is in Halloween 4. Brackett repeated a similar take of his line from the 1978 film, We're all entitled to one scare on Halloween. I have some mixed thoughts. I enjoyed the 78 flashback and how it was shot. I loved Michael's brutal kills, seeing old faces return, but the reintroduction of Lonnie felt almost unnecessary. I didn't even realize that he was a character from the original, so that's kind of a fun reference, I suppose, but I had no empathy for his character, though. I get it. They wanted a way to reconnect Cameron to the story more. Karen's character had a very small arc, especially with what little time we got with her in this film as well as the last movie. The same goes for Allison. The last movie, she was a damsel in distress, running and crying for the final act, but in this movie, she just seemed angry, almost like a light switch was flicked. I guess you could point to the moment when she stabbed Michael in Lori's house, but to me, the transition felt rather abrupt. There were so many characters introduced for the sake of a kill count, which I appreciate, but the constant scene transition between, say, the bar and the hospital and the childhood home and the flashbacks of 1978 would just keep killing the tension and pacing of the movie. The film felt very much in the middle and as if the next one should have come out the same day rather than making us wait a whole nother year. I do think they were hinting at the possibility of uh, something supernatural as he was stabbed and shot multiple times only to get back up as well as Karen seeing Michael's ghost in the window. Though the director says he is not supernatural, but spectacular. The mob scenes created tension in the chaos, which the second time around I grew to appreciate and actually had my heart racing, but we could have utilized that time, honestly, to get to know um, Allison and Cameron more, because it felt like they should have been our main characters this movie. Instead, we saw the mob, we heard Frank's guilt, we met the couple at the bar and the couple in the childhood home, we had such little screen time, and then they were quickly killed off. Also, Lori didn't even get to do a thing this movie, so that's another reason this story felt very stagnant. This movie addresses how Michael isn't truly after Lori, and the doctor made that happen. It suggests that he just kills to kill, perhaps fueling something inside of him, but has no ulterior motive and wants to go home. I could see why this had mixed reviews after my first watch. Then after thinking about it and then re-watching it in theaters, I grew to appreciate the story and how it was laid out more since I knew what to expect. Michael was brutal, the patient chase scene was intense, Anthony Hall did a great job as Tommy, especially with his hospital speech. I love the score for the film, which was done by John Carpenter and his son, as well as another gentleman, and I think they did a great job to match the intensity of the scenes that they were aiming for. I'm excited for Halloween Ends, and I have a feeling it's just going to get better from here. After my first watch, I would give this film a 3, but after seeing it in theaters with a clearer mindset of the film's plot, I'd bump it up to a 4. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at, at Home. I'm now on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify, so do me a favor and feel free to leave a rating. Send me a message, let me know what you thought of the movie and what you hope to see in Halloween Ends next year. Until next time, thanks for listening. Horror is all.